0: we're in the midst of this study of the lord's prayer as we go through each of the the phrases you know this is a got to be a really familiar prayer perhaps for even many of you a prayer that's said roughly in what 30 seconds to a minute that's been repeated by various people in congregations as they gather together or as they pray in their own home for About 2,000 years. A prayer that that is used to perhaps even shape their own prayer life as they consider what it is that they bring to the Lord. And we're looking at that, but not only how it shapes our prayer life, how it also shapes the life we live. We've been talking about how we are living between what we call two Advent's the Advent of Jesus Christ and his birth, and the second Advent. Is Jesus coming again as King? How is it that this prayer shapes the way we live between these two time periods? The opening of the prayer, we talked about the word Father, the first word really in that prayer in Aramaic, and in how we are invited to pray to a Father who is loving and caring and compassionate never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love for his children. We can pray to a father confidently knowing that he desires to hear from us and he desires good for us. Last week we entered the, the requests section. We called it petitions and it's, and it's uh, the your really requests, your your name be honored, your kingdom come, and then your will be done. As we thought about the phrase, hallowed be your name, we, we talked about how if we sincerely want to pray for God's name to be honored, for Him to be seen as someone who is glorified, then that prayer that we pray, hallowed be your name, must be matched with a willingness to live in a way which honors God's name and what he has called to be us, that, that we would pray that the Spirit himself would guide us in ways to honor God's name as we live out our days here on earth. As we continued this request section, we turn to the concept of kingdom. Your kingdom come. I want you to think for a moment about Purpose. People long for a purpose in their life, right? We have books that are written about it. Rick Warren has sold this book called The Purpose-Driven Life. Not sure if any of you have ever heard of that, right? I don't know how many millions of copies that has sold. People desire purpose. You know, the reality is there's studies, psychological studies that have been done uh, in the last 20 years that have showed individuals that have a sense of purpose, individuals who who feel like what they do for a living matters actually live longer and have better health than the counterparts who don't feel like their life has purpose and they don't feel like what they do on a daily basis matters. I don't know if any of you watch TV, maybe you flip past all the commercials, but Sometimes when you're watching a streaming service, you're forced to watch commercials. And, and I've been forced to watch commercials lately, and I saw one about purpose. And it, and it starred Napoleon Bonaparte. Does anyone know who Napoleon Bonaparte is? He's, he's this uh, uh, military leader during the French Revolutionary Wars, and he's often talked about being really short, so I'm in really good company, except... He, uh, apparently people say he's 5'2", so I got him by 5 inches, y'all, All All right. So, this commercial starts out with you looking at this grand view of this this military camp and it starts focusing in on this tent and you're invited into Napoleon's sanctuary, so to speak, his his own bedroom and you see him there and he kind of looks dejected. Like he doesn't feel like what he's doing is actually the purpose he's supposed to fulfill in life. And and the camera focuses in on him more, and he's he's laying down in his lush four post bed with a remote in hand as he's watching Netflix in the sixteenth and seventeenth or no seventeenth uh, and eighteenth or nineteenth centuries. And and he's watching Netflix and what Netflix shows him is how to find his purpose. If he only followed his dreams, he would be able to find his purpose. So once again, the the camera pans out to this big picture of the whole army camp, and it starts focusing in on this backdrop and stage, and Napoleon is standing there with all of the lieutenants and generals and soldiers gathered around, listening to him, and as he's standing by this microphone, he says, Can everyone see me in the back? No? Well, I guess I'll stand up. And everyone just starts roaring laughter. And he has this smile of joy upon his face. He found his purpose. He wasn't supposed to be a military leader. He was supposed to be a stand-up comedian. Purpose. We we desire to seek out and try different things to find it. Perhaps sometimes you, you find your purpose in finding your job knowing that you just feel at home in that place when you're working and doing that job other times perhaps it's not the job that brings you purpose but it's a a job that enables you to do something else serving within your community or your local church or some agency that gives you purpose it's a, It's a way to continue on and feel like what you do is worth something. That your life is worth living because you can do this which helps other individuals. Perhaps it's a a hobby that brings you great joy. An ability to to work with wood and create things that other people can't, that you can give out that they get joy upon their faith. Wherever we find it, a meaningful purpose creates a life that is worth living. And when we think about Christ, He came with a meaningful purpose. His his purpose was to come and to to declare the kingdom of God being here and right now. To to proclaim the, the good news of the gospel. The good news was that Jesus' kingdom wasn't something that was far off in the distance, yet it was there, but it was here right now for the people who was hearing him speak. And so we're going to go and think about God's kingdom. What is it that Jesus was declaring? Some people, and even people in that day who heard Jesus, was thinking Jesus' kingdom was purely physical. It was a physical kingdom that he was going to overthrow the Roman government and that he was going to be the, the new ruler. It was going to be a kingdom that was probably going to have military might to conquer those who were oppressing them and those who were controlling them. A kingdom of power. A kingdom right then and there that Jesus would begin and then he would reign forever. It was a political kingdom, so to speak. A kingdom where people were supposed to say, Jesus is Lord. And that wasn't just some spiritual thing that makes you feel good inside, but it was in direct opposition to what people were supposed to say, which is, Caesar is Lord. It was Jesus' physical kingdom that people were interested in. That's that's one way to look at at the kingdom of God. Others would maybe perhaps say that, well, Jesus' kingdom is purely spiritual. That Jesus' kingdom and purpose on earth was to, to go and set people free of their internal sin. Uh, the, the weight that they had to, to, to make them forgiven when God looks at them as a purely spiritual thing that we're living out our days here on earth just to get through them and that one day we can leave all this earth behind and, and all the evil and all the things that are here and then we get to ascend to that place where, where God is. We can, we can leave the earthly stuff and, and ascend to this purely spiritual place where, where God exists and there is, is no wrong. Now, either one of those wouldn't quite get there. You see, because if we remember all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 when God created the heavens and the earth, He didn't just create the heavens good. He created the earth good as well. And and so when we think about the kingdom, we're not thinking about one here on earth or one up there, but we're thinking about both of these spaces in in a time where God's kingdom in heaven will be fully present and restored here on earth, that we will experience that kingdom of heaven here in this physical reality, in our physical bodies, here on earth. As we think about the kingdom and what it looks like, we're going to head to Isaiah chapter 61. We're going to look at the three verses, verse 1, verse 2, and the first part of verse 3. This passage in Isaiah is actually the passage that Jesus himself spoke. And then he, he followed it up by saying, today in your hearing, this has been fulfilled. So let's head to Isaiah chapter 61. And that'll be page 607 in those black Bibles. If you grab it, it'll be on the screen as well. Students, if you've got your Bible, it'll be on page 899. So Let's hear these words. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to those who, uh, and to comfort all of those who mourn and provide for those who grieve on Zion. And that's where we're going we're to stop this passage. Jesus took this passage from the book of Isaiah about God's kingdom, and He set out within His life a purpose to make it reality. It was Jesus who, who came into this world, God becoming man, to bind up all of those who are broken, to release all the captives. He was going to defeat evil and He was going to begin the reign of God's kingdom. God returning from His place back to the Mount of Zion. He came to preach that message that people who were walking in exile would one day be restored and and brought back into the fold of the Lord. When we we think about that as the idea of, of God welcoming back, of Jesus welcoming back a people in exile, that would have been something that would have been familiar to the people that would have heard Jesus teach this prayer. Exile is is something that, that their ancestors were used to. There was different points in time where, where nations would come and, and conquer Israel or Judah and then they would carry them off into places that were not their homes and they were displaced. And the, and the goal would be that the Lord would return them back to the place that they would be, that they would be set free from where they had been taken. And Jesus went about teaching about this freedom that people were given. He he told parables of the kingdom and what it looks like. He he released people from the demons that they had experienced. He he came and He he bound up the brokenhearted and and He came and He healed the sick. When we, when we think about all that he did, I, I thought about the, the, the passage where Jesus talks about the prodigal son. So often we think about the prodigal son and we think about radical forgiveness. Right? We, we think about this this father figure who was essentially told to die by his own son. Give me half of what's coming to me. And, and he runs off and, and lives his own life and And he thinks to himself, when he's squandered all the wealth, when he's feeding the pigs and he thinks, man, I wish I could eat that food because he was so hungry, I could go back to my father and become one of his servants. And instead of becoming one of his servants before he can even get to this line where he wants to To say to his father, I'm sorry for what I've done. The father runs out to him, puts a ring on his hand, puts the robe on his back and welcomes him as a son. You can think of this as as forgiveness, but we could also think of it as, as the father, the God figure, liberating his son. A son who was captivated and held captive by his own way. A son who desired to follow and maybe build his own kingdom to go off and and live in his own way. And now this father welcomes him back, liberating him from his past, forgiving him from his past, bringing him into a new life once again where he is not a servant, he is not a, a slave. Instead, He is a Son, a dearly loved and and beloved person. The Father setting Him free from His past actions. Setting Him free from His past words where He said, Father, why don't you die and give me half of what is coming from me? And Jesus, in in sharing this story, was, was talking about His kingdom and who his kingdom was for. His kingdom was for people who were captive. People who were considered cast-offs and like the brother didn't really want to go into the party, people would look down upon them considering that they must be too far off to be a part of God's kingdom. Perhaps even these people too themselves would have thought, There's no hope for me. And yet here Jesus comes to bring to them freedom. To set them free from whatever the past of their life entailed. Whatever happened before Christ met them, now all of a sudden didn't matter because Jesus was taking an opportunity to welcome them into the kingdom of God that they would no longer be slaves to the past, but they would be brought in as sons and daughters of God. Not only was Jesus going to welcome them in, not only was He going to include them in the kingdom, but Jesus was going to go on to, to set them free forever by defeating all evil. Because God's new kingdom that He was bringing about wouldn't allow evil to be a part of it. Jesus was going to come about and, and set up the destruction of evil once and for all. So all may begin to experience the joy and the peace and the justice of God's kingdom. And all He needed to do was to give up His life. to give up His life, to, to die a death that you and I deserve, to, to take it upon Himself. To be carried down from that cross as a limp and lifeless body brought into a tomb that is meant for people who stay dead. And somehow when it looks like evil had had the last laugh, so to speak. The Spirit enters Christ and is renewed again. His lifeless heart begins pumping blood through his veins and arteries and his, and his cold body becomes warm again. And he defeats death. And he holds the keys to death and, and Hades. And once again, we know that He will come back again with those keys upon His belt to bring back and restore everything so that no evil can be present in God's kingdom, that that kingdom of heaven would fully be realized here on earth. God's kingdom isn't this thing that's on the the distant horizon, though because it began when Jesus said these words from Isaiah chapter 61. It began as Jesus set free people's lives. But what does it look like today for us? What does it look like today for us when we repeat these words, your kingdom come? Well, we've been looking at the Heidelberg Catechism a little bit. That's a a, teaching tool that's used, it's framed in, in questions. And, and it asks, what does your kingdom come mean? Or it actually says, what does the second petition mean? What does the second request mean? And it says this, rule us by your word and spirit in such a way that more and more we submit to you. Preserve your church and make it grow. Destroy the devil's work. Destroy every force which revolts against you and every conspiracy against your holy word. And do this until your kingdom on heaven comes fully here on earth when you will be all in all. When we hear those words, the first ones rule us by your word in spirit in such a way that more and more we will submit to you. It almost sounds like a continuation of that first petition. Last week, we saw that that first petition was that we would ask the Lord to use His word and... uh, Nope, that's not... That we'd ask the Lord to help us direct all of our living towards Him. And here, we build upon that How do we direct our living to be in order with God? Well, it's by His Word and by His Spirit. So when we think about praying, your kingdom come. It's not just some empty words. Just like praying for God's name to be honored was not just some empty words. If we sincerely want to pray, hallowed be your name if we sincerely and truly want to pray, Your kingdom come. If we truly want to see God's system of justice come here on earth. If we truly want to see God's grace abound among people. If we truly want to see people with the ability to forgive one another when we've been wronged. And we're praying for that, then, we have to be willing to live it out. If, if we're going to understand God's Word and have the Spirit within us, we would not be able to, to stop living in a way which brings about God's kingdom. Not only then would we be praying for the redemption of the world, not only would we be praying for captives being set free, not only would we be praying for forgiveness of sins or uprooting of evil or restoration of all nations. Not only would we be praying that people would find homes and experience warmth in the winter and they would be protected from the the hot sun in the summer, not only would we be praying that, that the life of Christ would enter into all people, but we would be doing things within our life which would see the fruit of God's kingdom bringing about. like the 20 years, it's 20 years now, right, Tom, that we've been participating with Family Promise? Is it 20? Tom says 20. Tom, okay, whatever. 20, 25, either way, that's a long time. 20 years times four times a year times seven days. I don't have the math in my head. How many nights that we've had three, four, five families a part of this building, calling this building home as as we begin that process of restoration that family promise continues by bringing them from church to church to church to a home. By setting them free of not knowing where they're going to stay the night, by instead knowing where they live and having a place of their own. A place that they can call home. A place that they go back to each and every day. If, if we're going to pray your kingdom come, then it's got to be followed up with, with living it out. What does that look like for us beyond just partnering with family promise? If we're going to pray your kingdom come, Maybe it's going to be helping those who are in need by working with volunteers in service. By by giving rides to people that have no ability to go get their own groceries. By picking someone up to take them to a doctor appointment that they've been putting off because they can't get there on their own. By maybe providing meals to people who are so overwhelmed, they don't know what to do. They don't know who to reach out to. What does it look like to live out your kingdom come? Sometimes, when I think about the prayer, your kingdom come, and I think about the Spirit using me, it's something so amazing, but it's something that can can be a little bit paralyzing, not knowing which way do we have to go forward. uh, During winter break, I I read a book by John Acuff called Soundtracks, and it talked about how we often tend to overthink things. We often have these narratives, or he called them soundtracks, that that live in our brain, that are, are... over and over, the things that we repeat when we, when we think about stepping out to do something, a narrative comes in that says, why do you think you would be able to do that? What difference do you think that you can make? You think just doing that thing will make any difference in the world? You don't have the gifts to do that. All these things that repeat in our mind over and over again that, that paralyze us causing us to to remain inactive. We're we're called by your kingdom come to allow God's Word to rule in us, not our soundtracks, not the things that repeat in our mind. We're we're called to let the Spirit rule in us, not to be stuck in one place, but constantly be moving that next step that the Spirit says. There was a, a quote in this book that I started living by, I guess you could say. There's this whole phrase that you can repeat to yourself in the mirror. You're, you're asked to do it for, for 30 days. It's like, hi, my name is Steve Hall, and, and I know that what I think matters and what I think shapes my actions. And, and then it goes on to say 10 things that I know. And, and it goes on, and one of them is this. The only one getting in my way is me. And I stopped doing that yesterday. The only one getting in our way of truly living out the kingdom values in our life. The only one who's getting in the way of of the Spirit of God and His Word dwelling deeply in us that we may live out those kingdom values is us in our inaction, in our unwillingness to, to hear and follow where the Spirit is taking us. And God doesn't want us to live that way, where we're paralyzed by our own anxiety of, of what is to come, that we're unsure that if we, if we give up a certain thing in our life that we hold so tightly that we don't know what would come next, what would, what would replace that one thing that we're not supposed to be these individuals that are so stressed about life, about work, about family, about everything that's happening, that instead we're, we're supposed to, to get out of our own way to, to offer these things to God that He may fill even our own life with a better picture of what the kingdom looks like today. A kingdom without... Worry of of what's coming next. A kingdom without anxiety paralyzing us and keeping us from following Christ more fully. He wants to to take all of those things that are, are stopping our life from being ruled by His Word and Spirit and relieve them from you, to set you free. To set the the captives free, so to speak. That each and every day we would, inch by inch, releasing one thing after another, that we would take further steps with the Spirit, getting out of our own way, realigning ourselves with the kingdom of God, and in the process, realigning the world with the kingdom of God looking at the systems of this world by understanding His kingdom and what difference it has made in our own life. That each and every day we can make the kingdom of God in heaven come to earth a little bit more fully. That was the purpose of Christ. And it's the purpose He has for us to see his kingdom come here on earth. Let us pray. Father, we pray for your kingdom to come. We pray for your kingdom of forgiveness to come in our life. We pray for your kingdom which empowers us by your spirit to be evident each and every day. We pray for your word to dwell richly within our hearts and minds, and your spirit to direct each and every step that we take. That not only would would what we say be honoring to you and glorify your kingdom, but that each action we take would be something that glorifies you, makes your name great and your kingdom known. It's only through the power of the Spirit that that happens in us. It's Christ's name we pray. Amen.